my name's Andrew. I'm part of the team here at C3. Um, hands up, all of you here that have already made your New Year's resolutions. Ooh, hardly anyone, even less here than in the first service. Oh, would you like to know what the top three New Year's resolutions were last year? They should come up on the screen at any moment now. There we are, the top three New Year's resolutions. Exercise more. Lose weight. Eat more healthily. They're not bad New Year's resolutions, are they? They're not bad at all. But you know what the sad thing is, is this. Only 8% of people who make New Year's resolutions actually complete them. That means there's 92% of people that make New Year's resolutions like those, but they don't keep them. Now, I thought that was a, a really big number until I started to review my own resolutions from last year. Now, one of them, I did keep some of them, but one of them was this, to take up cycling. Now, I, I, I tell you, this was a big step for me. So I got my bike and I cleaned it all up. I actually went out and bought some mud guards because I thought I didn't want to get all wet and all that kind of stuff. I bought some light and I was ready to go. But you know, every time... I looked at this bike, I thought, right, I'm going to go. And then I'd look outside and think, oh, it's a bit cold. You know, oh, it's a bit windy. I'm going to get blown off. Or, oh, oh, it's going to rain. I'm going to get soaked. Uh, on, on one occasion, even in the summer, I looked out and I said, you know, oh, it's too hot. I'm going to get sunburned. <laughs> so, do you know what? To be honest, I never, ever in, 19, in 2017 got on that bike and went out. You know, it's terrible, isn't it? Confession is good, though, for the soul. But I was part of the 92% of people who failed to complete their New Year's resolution in, 19, uh, sorry, in 2017. I've gone back a decade. It probably was the last time I rode my bike was 10 years ago. <laughs> but nevertheless, I'm a great fan of New Year's resolutions. I think it's good to be able to sort of uh, set some goals, to dream big and set some goals for, for 2018. And as believers, we should always be reflecting and asking Jesus, is there an area in my life which I need to sort of up my game in? Is there, is there something I need to, to challenge myself with so I can become more and more like Jesus? You know, my desire is at the end of 2018, I'll be more like Jesus than I am at the moment. I want to reflect more of his love, more of his glory. I want to become more like him in conduct and in character at the end of 2018 than I currently am. Do you know, the biggest reason why people don't keep their New Year's resolution is this. Their New Year's resolutions simply do not provide the necessary inspiration and motivation to help them keep it. Simple as that. Why? Because they're too small. They're too small. It's good, isn't it, to get a bit fitter. I'm not knocking that. It's good to be a bit more healthy. But, you know, in and of themselves, there's not enough motivation, you know, behind those goals to help people to keep going. Otherwise, 92% of people would have actually achieved them rather than just 8%. So this morning, I've set myself the task, and you're going to love me for this. I'm going to suggest to you four New Year's resolutions, okay? That's what I'm going to do this morning. But hopefully, these resolutions will provide sufficient inspiration to keep you going and so that you don't quit on the way. But I want to tell you, these, these, these resolutions have got very little to do with your physical well-being. In fact, it's to do, if you like, with God's purpose for this church and his church and the well-being of others. So it's not focused on you. It's focused on God's plans and purposes and on the well-being of others. And I believe that as we line ourselves up with some of these resolutions, then I believe not only will we see lives transformed, but I believe it will transform our own lives as well. 
Now, even though I'm gonna recommend four, I really only want you to select one, okay? I only want you to select one. Now, the reason I want you to select one is this. When I started to look at the sort of uh, New Year's resolution stuff on the internet, one of the things that they actually said was this, that one of the reasons that people do not actually sort of complete their New Year's resolution was this, they have too many. And what happens if they fail on one, they give up on others. So I just want you to take one New Year's resolution that, uh, this morning away with you and actually say, do you know what? I'm going to commit myself to doing that for 2018. We've already heard from Rhiannon, didn't we, that you know, we can change. 2018 can be better than 2017. It really can. So let's dig into the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 5. I want to start reading from verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were there, sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God and God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. It's a great scripture, isn't it? And this morning, I just want to draw out four challenges for us for 2018. And, uh, and then I want to su su suggest four specific New Year resolutions for each one of these challenges. Is that okay? Now listen, I am not sort of uh, having a go at C3 or, or you in, in making these challenges, okay? But I do believe that we need to go from good to great. And when we get to great, we need to go from great to even greater. Okay, so this is not a, a criticism of the church. We want to we grow in God, don't we? There's always another level to go to. Okay, first challenge is this. Let us be even more radically inclusive in 2018 than we were in 2017. Let us be more radically inclusive in 2017, uh, 2018 than we were in 2017. Just consider for a moment this man on the mat. This man on the mat. Imagine what his life was like. He was totally dependent on other people. He probably couldn't cook for himself. He couldn't go shopping for himself. You know, he, he had to have people to care for him. I suspect that in order to stop getting, I don't know, sort of bed sores, he had to be moved around. He probably couldn't even go to the bathroom by himself. This man was totally dependent on other people. Can you imagine what that must have done to his self-worth and his self-image? I suspect he looked forward to the future and he thought, do you know what, I've got no future. You know, the body that Jesus had given him, which was meant to kind of sort of enable him to get around, actually was his prison, it restricted him. And I suspect that he looked forward to the future and he said, do you know what, I've got none. 
In the natural, there was nothing going for this man. He had absolutely nothing. But he did have one thing going for him. Just one thing. He had great friends. He had great friends. Without these friends, he would never made it to Jesus. Without these friends, he wouldn't have been healed. Without these friends, he wouldn't have walked and danced and gone back to his home rejoicing. Do you know, I don't believe for one moment that this friendship between these guys and, and the man on the mat was superficial. It must have been a deep, deep friendship. Because this man allowed these four guys to place him on the mat and to bring him to Jesus, to take him all the way up the steps outside the house and then drop him in front of Jesus on a mat. That takes trust, doesn't it? That kind of friendship doesn't just happen. I believe that this friendship was deliberately, intentionally and consistently nurtured. Now what you have to realize is that there were real obstacles in the way of these men developing such a friendship with this man on the mat. Even to begin such a friendship, there were some real obstacles. In the ancient world, the Greeks regularly disposed of newborn infants with physical abnormalities. Aristotle wrote this, let there be a law that no deformed child should be raised. How awful is that? But in Israel, this man would have also suffered from another stigma. See, there was a common assumption in those days that if you had a physical disability, that in some or other, it was due to the fact that you were sinned or your parents had sinned. Remember the story of the disciples walking along uh, with Jesus and, and they saw a blind man and, and one of them said, Rabbi, who has sinned that this man is blind? Was it him or his family? Jesus' response was this, neither. There's nothing at all to do with them. Nothing to do with his sin or the family. But the question was indicative of a cultural norm of the day. And what I love about this band of brothers is that they were prepared to step out of the cultural norm of the day. They were prepared, if you like, to risk their, their reputation, their good name, and develop a relationship with this man. John Ortberg said this, in face of formidable obstacles, social stigma, inconvenience, financial pressure, a high cost of time and energy, they chose to become his friends. We need to choose to become people's friends, you know. We really do, if we are to become radically inclusive. Jesus was radically inclusive. Jesus' incarnation, God becoming man in flesh, was a radically inclusive act. He took on himself the body of a man, just like you and I. He became an embryo, just the way that we came into the world. And when he came into the world, he used the language of everybody else that was around him. He wore the same clothes. He didn't stand out. There was nothing special physically about Christ Jesus. Why did he do that? He did it because he wanted to befriend us in a way that was consistent with our humanity. That's inclusive, isn't it? That's inclusive. Jesus smashed through all the religious barriers that religious people had actually set up. You know, the society in those days were littered with outcasts. They were littered with untouchables. The religious leaders of the day had a large number of people that they would never even touch in case they were contaminated. But when Jesus came, he touched the leper. He touched the bleeding. He even touched the dead. Listen, there was no one outside the love and compassion of Christ Jesus. That's inclusive, isn't it? That's inclusive. His closest workers were ordinary men and women just like you and I. Jesus broke through all the kind of barriers. They, they, were, they weren't sort of celebrities. They weren't sort of religious leaders that he chose. He chose ordinary men and women just like you and I. He broke through every class barrier and every gender barrier of, of, of the day. Why? Because he was inclusive. 
No one was outside of the love of Christ Jesus. I want to ask us a question. How radically inclusive are we? How radically inclusive are we? How open are we to developing relationships with other people that are different from ourselves? I want us to be honest about this question. If we want to be more radically inclusive in 2018 compared with 2017, then we need to be like these guys. Now, one of the things that really struck me about these guys is that they were absolutely passionate about their mission. Their mission was straightforward, wasn't it? I'm gonna get, we're gonna get this man to Jesus or we're gonna bust. You know, one of our values is that people count and that the lost really matter. That's one of our values. Now, we can't sort of meet up with everyone. We can't meet up with everyone, but you know what? Everyone can meet up with someone. Everyone can meet up with someone. The question I wanna pose is this. Are we excluding people simply because they're not like us? Are we excluding people simply because they're not like us? Our mission is all about getting involved in the lives of people who need the transforming love and power of Christ in their lives. Yet so often, that mission can drop down our personal agenda and church can become a place where we come to because it's comfortable because we, it's a place where we have our own needs met. It's a place where we just rub shoulders with people like ourselves. This happened in the early church. Remember Jesus, when he called the disciples, he said, you know, uh, and he said, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will, what, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. His priority was to take the gospel out to people outside of Jerusalem, people un- uh, different from the disciples of the day. What did the disciples of the day do? They stayed in Jerusalem. The problem is, it was still Jesus' priority to take the gospel out to people unlike those people in Jerusalem. His desire was to see this gospel spread out throughout the world. So what did he do? He allowed persecution to come, and eventually the gospel of Christ Jesus was spread to other parts of the world. I believe that's still Jesus' priority today. Church We are the instruments of Christ's saving grace today. We are called ambassadors. The scripture says this, now Christ is making his appeal through us. Through us. We don't save anybody, but we can become the channel through which Christ can work. We need to be totally inclusive. The gospel is for everyone. We are all in need of a savior. In fact, I'm still in need of a savior day by day. These guys... We're not just sort of passionate about mission, but they were compassionate also about people and their plight. Now, compassion is an inner compulsion that moves us to action. When you read in the New Testament about, there's a fly on my drink. When you, when you, when you need in the, go away, go away. When you, when, when you, when you read about compassion in, in the New Testament, it's always related to action. Know the story of the 5,000, feeding the 5,000. We all know that story, don't we? Jesus. But, you know, just at the beginning of that story, the Bible says something along these lines. I'm paraphrasing at the moment. It says, Jesus looked at the crowd and he said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were people without a shepherd. In other words, he, was, he looked at them and he said, do you know what? These people 
who need love and no care and who need guidance and, and they need health and strength. You know, these people who sort of were bewildered and hurting, these people didn't know how to make sense out of life. Do you know, I, I have compassion on them because they're like people without a shepherd. They had no one to lead them. They had no one to guide them. Do you know what? Our life is littered with people who need shepherds. It might be at work, it might be in this church, it might be in your family, it might be in your circle of friends. Our lives are littered with people who need a shepherd, who need someone to care for them, who love them, who can direct them, who can speak well into their lives, who can cheer them on, who can actually say that they, they, they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them, people who can encourage them. That's what we're called to do, you know. That's what we're called to do. But we can only do this close up. We can only do this in relationship. I've said this before, you know, soon you get to know someone, no matter what their situation is, often you're then overwhelmed, not by how far they need to go, but how far they've come. It's when we get to know people that we see them as people and not just their mat, not just their problem, not just their, their, their shortcomings, not just their, 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 their difficulties. The willingness to assign value and worth to someone is one of the greatest gifts you and I can give anyone. It really is. Someone once said this, to accept and value someone is to affirm that we are glad that they are alive and part of our life. Can I say, we all have mats. We all have mats, don't we? This guy's mat was, was a physical mat. He, he needed physical healing, he, but he's also had a spiritual mat there as well because he needed spiritual healing. What's your mat this morning? Could be anger. It could be fear. It could be the need to put a relationship right. It, it could be all kinds of things. We all have a mat. But we all continually need people, don't we, to come alongside us and speak good things into our life, to speak value into our life, separate from the mat that we are carrying. And you know, when we have a message like that being spoken into our lives, it's transforming. It's transforming, isn't it? It's transforming. See, the world will never deliver this message because this, this world has never had the transforming power of Christ in their life. They can't deliver it. But surely for us as Christians, this should be as natural as breathing. Why? Because this is how God deals with us and this is how God speaks to us day by day. He always speaks value and worth into our life. And we need to be a people that start speaking value and worth into the lives of others. You know, it was a lack of passion for mission and compassion for the people that almost kept this man away from Jesus. Have you noticed in the story, the leaders, the religious leaders of the day, or the people that were actually in that room, none of them stepped back and allowed, the, uh, allowed this man to come in on a mat. It must have been obvious that this man really needed a touch of Jesus. This man was on a mat. It was obvious. He didn't have to have a word of discernment. It was obvious. He, 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 you know, he needed to get into the presence of Jesus, but not one of them moved. Have you noticed also in that story that the religious leaders of the day had no one to bring? They had no one to bring. Why? Because the religious leaders of the day were a clique. They were a club. A club that kept out the lost, the lonely, the broken, and the least. They, they kept them out. The name Pharisees actually means separated one, and that's exactly what they did. They separated themselves from people. They thought they were better than other people. You know, God forbid that that spirit ever enters here, that we think some or other we're better than the person sitting next to us, and we become a club or a clique. I believe that Jesus was overwhelmed with joy when those four guys dropped down right before him, whilst he was in the middle of his preach, 
this man. Because why? Jesus came for the sick. He came for the unrighteous. He came for those who acknowledged a need for him. And I'm sure that Jesus rejoiced in it. That these guys were totally, absolutely uh, inclusive. So let me suggest a New Year's resolution, if you like, on the back of what I've just said. This is a simple one. This is one that I've chosen for myself, okay? How about identifying at least one person who is not in your current circle of friendships, and it can be in the church or outside of the church, to whom you will show unconditional and persistent kindness to in 2018? Outside your current circle, perhaps people that you wouldn't even normally think of. How about identifying someone with whom you're going to show unconditional and persistent kindness to? Challenge two. Let's stay even more united in 2018 than we were in 2017. Now remember, we're going from good to great. This is not a criticism. Imagine for a moment how difficult it must have been for these four guys to actually get this man on a mat to Christ Jesus. Now, they didn't have like a hard stretcher like you see in an ambulance. You know, when an ambulance comes, you know, got a nice hard stretcher and they've got little handles to hold. He didn't have, he was on a mat, a dead weight on a mat. And they had to carry this man up the steps, actually take the tiles off, and then somehow, I don't know whether they had ropes or what, I don't know how they did it, but somehow or other, to drop this man right in front of Jesus through the roof. They could only do it. They could only do it if they were to uh, cooperate with one another, if they were doing it in harmony, if they were going to do it together, if they were going to do it in unison. Do you know, I really do believe that we downplay the power of unity in church. We really do. I believe that working together in unity is a trigger for blessing. Psalm 133 says this, how good and pleasant it is when brethren or brothers actually dwell together in unity. There, God commands the blessing, even life forevermore. Listen, what it doesn't say is this. It doesn't say God commands the blessing only on those who come up with the best ideas. It doesn't say God commands the blessing on those who come, come up with the, the best way of doing things. No, it says God commands the blessing when brothers dwell together in unity. That word dwell means to sit down. It means to remain. It means to tarry. I didn't think any of those words really carried what I felt God was saying to me uh, when I read that scripture. And I, and I began to sort of ask God, what do you really mean by that? And, and this, this phrase came up. It's not biblical, but this phrase is what God dropped into my heart. God commands the blessing where there is lasting togetherness. Where there's lasting togetherness. I had a picture of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords issuing an edict when he sees this lasting togetherness happening in a church and he sends forth an irrevocable blessing to the church. The word blessing there actually means peace. It means goodness. It means prosperity. Wouldn't it be great for us as a church if every time we, people walked in they sensed something of God's peace here, that you know, they sensed something of God's presence here, something of God's goodness here, and as a church we prospered in everything that we ended up doing for God's glory? Wouldn't that be great for us as a church? I tell you, one of the keys for that to happen is for us to be united in, together in lasting togetherness. Unity attracts God's attention. It's a trigger for God's blessing. But here's the nub. Here's the nub of this, this particular point that I want to make uh, this morning. You can't be united if you're on the periphery. Now, you can't be united if you're on the periphery. You can't be united if you're double-minded. You can't be united if you're actually sitting on the fence. You can't be united if you're not 
all in for God's plans and purposes. You can't be united. You can't. Do you know, it's easy to get united, isn't it, around a vision. It's easy to get united around a vision. I can talk about the vision and say, yeah, I'm behind it. But I'm actually talking about actually getting involved here. I'm talking about being part of something that's going to make an eternal difference in this city and in this nation. And to do that, friends, then we have to be united. We have to be united in the detail, day-to-day outworking of the vision on the ground. Whether, whether it's in our, our trustees meeting, whether it's in our operations meeting, you know, whether it's in our, the meeting where, where I have with centre managers, whether it's in your team meetings that you have in your departments, whether it's where in, the, in the C3 teams that you're working in, we need to be a people that are, if you like, lasting togetherness at all times. That's what we have to display because that's the trigger for the blessing. That's the trigger for God saying, listen, I want goodness, I want peace, and I want prosperity to come on your life. I don't know about you, say, I want more of that. This this city needs churches who are characterized by more of that stuff. Simple New Year's resolution then to follow this. This is a really simple one. How about getting involved and working in harmony with others, either in a C3 serving team or in our new C3 groups. That's simple, isn't it? That's simple. But the stress I want to put on on that is actually working with each other in harmony. Working with others in harmony. Listen, when I, when I look around this church and I see different people, I'm thinking there are people different color, there's people of different sort of cultural backgrounds, there's probably different people of different classes, different intellect. Do you know what? The only way that this can actually work in unity is through the love of Jesus Christ coursing through our bodies. It really is. It really is. That's the only way that church makes sense. And when I look around, I'm thinking, well, so many different people, and yet church still makes sense. It's of God, isn't it? It's of God. When, you know, when the church sees, uh, sorry, when the world sees a church acting in unity, I, I, I want to tell you, they'll be banging on the doors wanting to come in. They will. When they see people caught up with a whole emphasis of actually seeking out people and doing good for them for the glory of God under the headship of Christ, I want to tell you, people will be banging on our door. Why? Because that's part of the blessing that happens when we function in unity. So get involved. And work in harmony with another, with each other, either in a C3 uh, group or a serving team. Challenge number three. Have an even greater bias towards action in 2018 than in 2017. Have a greater bias towards action in 2018. What I love about these guys is that these guys were action-orientated. These guys didn't just pray for their friends. These guys went through the trouble of lifting up their friend and bringing them to Jesus. Now, I believe in prayer, but I don't believe this. I don't believe prayer is any substitution for action. I believe there's a time to pray, but I also believe there's a time to act. And so often we kind of tend to kind of pray stuff when really we should be acting. We're asking God to answer our prayers when God is saying, look, you are the answer to the prayers. Get on with it. Act on it. You know, these guys had a real bias towards action. 
And if we are going to have a bias towards action, then we have to, comp we have to sort of copy some of the things that these guys did. And these guys did things uh, that really are very simple but very profound. First of all, they were this. These guys were decisive. These guys were decisive. Verse 17 said this, the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. And I thought to myself, how did they know that? How did they know that the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick? Somehow or other, they intuitively knew it. You know, they knew that God was there uh, in Jesus and that Jesus was going to heal the sick that day. And these people discerned the moment. They understood that there was an urgency about it. They, they, they kind of became decisive about it. They realized that today was the day and they seized their moment. They were decisive. Do you know what? There's a lot of indecisive Christians around today. They can talk the talk, but they don't actually step out and do what God's called them to do. I, I, I see them day by day. I see them day by day. Consider what would have happened if they hadn't stepped out in a decisive manner like that. What if they procrastinated all the time? What if they discussed how to get this person to Jesus to the point that they actually sort of you know, did it for so long that they actually never actually got him to Jesus? Lots of churches do that. They have a vision, but they then discuss endlessly how to fulfill this vision, and by which time you know, they've missed opportunities. Happens all the time, up and down this land. Listen, we need a bias towards action. We need to be a people that sees our moment. Procrastination amongst Christians is probably the biggest robber of destiny. Procrastination is the biggest robber of destiny. Have you ever felt Christ prompting you to step out, but you never quite do it? You end up stepping back? I suspect something like this happened in your thinking. Ooh, was that really God speaking, or was it just me? Ooh, am I really up to that? Ooh, is this the right time? Or perhaps if I put that off until another sort of, you know, sort of season in my life, I can then pick it up. Um, oh, I'm sure there's better people, more equipped, and sort of, you know, more able than I am to fulfill this role. And what happens? We end up stepping back. And the thing is, something else then comes, and you know what? We go through the same internal process, and we end up never stepping out. We end up never taking any risks, and we end up never acting on God's word or the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and we miss opportunities day in and day out. We can't afford to do this, friends. I tell you, the end times are near, and we need to be about our Father's business. This is a day of decision. This is a day of being decisive. Listen, the enemy will want to deflect us and discourage us and defeat us. He really will. It's amazing how acting on one Holy Spirit prompting can change your life. It changed this man's life. It changed this man's life. One minute he was physically uh, disabled, the next minute he was made whole in Christ's name. One minute he was in darkness, next minute he was in the light. One minute he was going to a lost eternity, the next minute because of the decisive action of these men, they, he, uh, this man was going to spend eternity with Christ Jesus. Why? Because they were decisive. Why? Because they were decisive. An old Chinese proverb says this, he who deliberates fully before taking a step will spend his entire life on one leg. And it's true, isn't it? I, I've met loads of one-legged Christians. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I'll do it, but I need to cross the I's, cross the T's, you know, yeah, I'll get there. And do you know what? They spend all their lives on one leg. They never take the step. Never take that step of faith. They spend all, all their lives, and they're always on edge. These kind of people are always on edge, about to fall over. 
You know, where you finish his life, in life is not determined so much by where you start from, but whether or not you start at all. We need to be people to start. I tell you what, you can never finish unless you start. But these guys were not just decisive. These guys were determined. These guys were aware that if they were going to really succeed, then their action needed to be sustained. And no matter what's going to come their way, they were going to overcome their obstacle. I love people who are decisive. I love people who sort of will not give up. I love working with people who, who will go uh, further, you know, a yard further, a, a mile further, two miles further, even if the odds are all stacked up against them. I love people who are, who are sort of gritty and, and determined, who, who don't lose heart easily. I love people that not just start things, but finish things. I love, I love people who whisper at the end of a day when they've had a bad day, I'm still going to get up tomorrow and I'm still going to give the devil hell. I love those kind of people. I love those people who, if they cannot over the power, overpower the enemy that day, are determined to outlast him anyway. I love those kind of people. They're inspiring to me. Listen, these guys had numerous opportunities to give up, but they kept going. Aren't you glad that Jesus never gave up? Aren't you glad that Jesus kept going? For 40 days, without food or water, he was in the desert. The enemy came to him and said, why don't you turn these stones to bread? That would be something I would have done. I would have been starving. I don't do fasting very well. But 40 days is just too much for me. You know, I would have turned those stones into bread, but Jesus refused to. He kept going. He kept going. He was whipped with lashes for 40 lashes and then carried his cross and then was nailed on the cross and then cruel men put a crown of thorns on his head and dug it in so deeply that even when he carried his cross, the crown of thorns still stayed on his head. The Bible tells me that he could have called down a, a, a legion of angels to help him, but he refused. He kept going. Why did he keep going? It's clear in the scriptures if you read it. He said it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? It was you and I. It was this nation. It was this world being redeemed by the blood and the love of Jesus. That's what was kept before him. That was his faith-filled picture of the future. And that, you know what? These guys, they had a faith-filled picture of the future as well. It was that this friend of theirs would be made whole that day when they take him to Jesus. What's your faith-filled picture for 2018 going to be? What is it? What is it? It might just be that there's a, there's a, there's a friend at work whose marriage is falling apart, but you have a real faith-filled picture that this marriage is going to work out for the glory of God. It might well be that, you know, you have a, a sort of a heart desire to do a, a, a ministry and, and, you begin, and God begins to birth a faith-filled picture of what it will be look like. It might be a friend who's caught up in addiction and, and suddenly you get a faith-filled picture of what he's going to be like when that person comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We all need faith-filled pictures. Listen, whatever you keep before you will determine whether or not you keep going. Whatever you keep before you will determine whatever you keep going. We always will have obstacles when we step forward. When we decisive and step out, get determined. Get determined. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Listen, if God doesn't sort of remove the obstacle, I'm going to say this, he will walk with you through that obstacle. And I believe that he will always find a way out, so eventually you will overcome that obstacle. I believe it in the mighty name of Jesus. So, what's the New Year's resolution that goes with this challenge? 
What about this? What about immediately doing whatever God has been prompting you to do? And resolving to finish it, come what may, whatever the cost, whatever the cost may be. This may include taking hold of something fresh. It might be taking hold of something that God spoke to you, you know, in 2017 about. It may be something that God spoke to you before you retired. It might be something that God spoke to you about, you know, when you were a child. What about taking hold of it in 2018 and resolving to do it and and to do it to the very end, not just starting well, but finishing strong? That's what God wants for us in 2018. Lastly, and we're running out of time, lastly, The fourth challenge I want to bring before you guys this morning is this. Let's embrace even more of the miraculous in 2018 than we've embraced in 2017. Now, this is one that I'm working through myself, okay? Let's embrace the miraculous more in 2018 than we did in 2017. It's amazing when we read that scripture, when I read that scripture to you this morning, within those sort of uh, eight verses, there are three miracles. Jesus forgives this man's sin. That's a miracle. Jesus reads the hearts of the, leader, of, the, of, of the people of the day, the leaders of the day. That's a miracle too. A miracle three, of course, is that Jesus healed this man. Three miracles in eight verses. But the greatest miracle of all, I believe, is that miracle of forgiveness of sin. It was when Jesus declared that this man's sins were forgiven that the religious leaders of the day started to get uppity in their inner beings. They said, why? This man is blaspheming. Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus, reading their thought, said this basically. Do you want to know that I have the power and authority to forgive sin? Then have a look at this bloke here. Listen, he came in on a mat, and now he's taking that mat out under his arm. That's the power of God. That's the power of God. Jesus' power to heal was a visible sign of his power to forgive. And they were right, only God can forgive. And of course, Jesus was God incarnate, wasn't he? So they were spot on. They just didn't realize that the man in front of him, what in front of them was in fact the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, friends, Christianity is a supernatural religion. It really is. That's why you can never kind of use science to work it all out. It's a supernatural religion. I don't know about yourself, but God becoming man is a bit of a miracle. I believe the fact that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, that's another miracle. I believe the fact that Jesus now is in heaven, you know, petitioning our cause before the throne on the, finish, on the basis of his finished work on the cross, I think that's a miracle. The fact that Jesus is going to come again and take us to be with himself forever, I believe that's a miracle. Do you know if you take out miracles from Christianity, we've got no Christianity. In fact, the scripture says this, if Christ is not raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sin. We can't take the supernatural out of Christianity. And actually, Christ created us to carry the supernatural, to carry the miraculous in us. We really are. When he he actually commissioned the 12, what did he say? What did he say to the 12? He said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. He said, well, well, that's the 12. Well, what about Matthew, Mark 16, where he said this? These signs will follow the preaching of his word. You will lay hands upon the sick and they will get well. What about the whole book of Corinthians, particularly chapters 11, 12, and 13 in the New Testament that talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? They're all supernatural, miraculous gifts. 
They're about things that we cannot do in the natural. They're supernatural, miraculous gifts that Christ wants us to operate. Do you know, church, I really do believe that in 2018, we need to be a church that re-embrace once again the miraculous because that's how God has created us. That's how God has shaped us. No, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same spirit that was working in the human Christ as he walked upon planet Earth is working in our life today. He really is. In fact, in John 15, it says, Jesus says, listen, those who believe in me will do the things that I've been doing. In fact, it says, you will do even greater things because I am going to the Father. What was he going to the Father for? He was going to the Father so he could release the Holy Spirit. That same Spirit that worked through Jesus, God went through heaven and then released the same Holy Spirit into our lives so we can do the things that Jesus did. In fact, we can do even greater things. Do you know, we are not limited by what we see, by what we touch, by what we smell. We are citizens of another world. And within us, we carry the power and authority of Jesus Christ through his spirit at work in us. That's the reality of who we are. Friends, and we need to understand this in 2018. Listen, the world can't understand it, but the world needs it. The world needs it. And the word of God comes to us in a powerful way. It says, listen, you are now my ambassadors. The Bible says it's as if Christ is making his appeal through us. We have a responsibility to move into this. This is not something that we can do just because it will make us feel good. It's something that we should do because that's what Jesus has ordained us to do. It's part of our mission. Our mission is not just to take the word out. Our mission is to take the miraculous out with us. We have to minister to the needs of the people. And sometimes the only way that we can minister the needs of the people is through a miracle. Why not use you and me to do that? Just because we've not experienced that in 2017, don't you dare exclude yourself for the possibility of Jesus working in you and through you in 2018. Listen to this. The only way to embrace the miraculous, therefore, is to do what these guys did. What did these guys do? He put this man on a mat, positioned themselves in such a place that if Jesus didn't turn up, they would look really foolish. What if they went through all that trouble, put the man on a mat, put him through the, through the roof, dropped him in front of Jesus, interrupted his preach, and Jesus said, not today. I think they would have been embarrassed. I think they would have been a bit annoyed as well. But they would have been totally embarrassed. Do you know, the only way for us to embrace the miraculous is to so position ourselves that if Christ doesn't turn up, then we sink. It's a scary place to be, isn't it? We want the miraculous, but we don't want to position ourselves to receive a miracle. It's a dangerous place to be in the natural. But as we walk with Christ, it's not a dangerous place to be. It's the place where God expects us to walk. New Year's resolution, based on what I'm going to say, and then I'm going to close. How about in 2018, stepping out and expecting the miraculous? It may be, for example, that of laying, laying on of hands in your work setting, not in the church, that's easy to do in the work, in, in, in laying, ha laying on of hands in your work setting and seeing people and expecting people to be healed? What about speaking prophetically over people's life? What about asking God to sort of give you a word of knowledge about someone's situation and speaking that into their lives? What about stepping into a new ministry even though you feel totally inadequate, even though you feel totally ill-equipped? That's what I mean by the miraculous. And as many other ways, I believe that God can use us in 2018. I wonder if the band can come back. 
You know, I believe that when we begin to kind of align ourselves with some of these New Year's resolutions, when we begin to sort of expect God to work in us and through us, I want to tell you the same response that, that sort of was witnessed by those people when they brought the mat, man on the mat, we will have the same response today. Listen to what the response was. It says, everyone was amazed and give praise to God. Wouldn't that be great? Everyone was amazed and filled with God. It said, they were filled in awe and they said this, we have seen remarkable things today. Do you know what my prayer is? Lord, oh Lord, renew them in our day. Renew them in our day.